for you tonight. Um, I was actually thinking about it when I was getting dressed today. You know, when I went to Bible school, I had to listen to probably hundreds of hours of uh, Pastor Mark Hankins. And uh, one of the things he said is that y'all might throw me out of town, but I'm going to get out front and make it look like a parade. So that's where I'm standing on tonight, that if you don't like it, you're going to have to take it up with God, and I will just make it look like a parade on my way out. Um, but we're going to talk about the critical spirit and how that critical spirit actually quenches the spirit of God. So, you know, last time I taught a couple weeks ago, we talked about Aaron and um, in Exodus. If you missed it, go back and watch it because there were some things I think that God really demonstrated um, about that story. It's amazing the things that you pull out of stories that you've read and you've seen, but yet you see it different and you hear things different. Um, so in Exodus, you know, Aaron ended up being a enabler of the Israelites. They came to him and Moses was taking too long. And so they said, you know, we need you to build us a God. And so instead of Aaron saying, what are you talking about? Why, why don't you remember what God has just done for you? Why don't you remember the faithfulness of God? Why don't you remember? He didn't. He said, okay, cool. Bring me the gold and I'll form it out for you. And it says that he engraved it personally, he engraved this calf and he put it in the fire, and out came this calf. And then he said, this is your God, Israel. You, tomorrow we're going to worship it, basically. So that's what we talked about last time. Um, but there's something else as you keep reading about the story of Moses and Aaron and the Israelites. My goodness, if you don't think God is long-suffering, go back and read about the Israelites. Because they had this front row seat to the miraculous, unending, ever-present power of God. Like, literally, it wasn't a, you know, once a week. It wasn't a once a year. It was literally an everyday thing that God did something miraculous in the midst of Israel. And yet, we see them turn and complain and yell at each other and be cranky and build a calf. And we see all these things, and we're like, what is going on? They literally have a personal touch from heaven every single day, and yet they're running amok. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit more about Aaron and, and some things that he did, but I want to tell you a little bit about criticism. So I looked up criticism, and I had it all typed out for you, but remember the computers don't like me today. So um, criticism is the expression of disapproval of someone or something based on perceived faults or mistakes. I think we all know that. Being criticized is not very fun. Let's just be honest about that. But synonyms of criticism, when I looked them up, these words are heavy words. Like sometimes we think, oh, everybody's a critic. You know, there's a food critic, and there's the fashion police, and there's all these things that are criticizing every part of our lives. But if you think about the other words that go along with being a critic or the spirit of criticism or just that in general, let some of these words are condemnation, disapproval, disparagement, fault-finding, chastisement, berating, abuse, scolding, chiding, broadsiding, broadsiding. If you hunt, you know what happens when something gets broadsided, just saying. Strictures, slurs, and smears. My goodness, those those, each one of those words are so heavy if you'll stop and think about them. Like you've talked about when we have uh, political things going on, and you talk about a smear campaign. Think about that word alone, smear, is 
a synonym of being a critic. My goodness, we need to be careful what we're saying. The world says everyone's a critic, but Jesus says love covers a multitude of sins and fulfills all of God's laws. So 1 Peter 4, 8, and this is in the Amplified, and says, above all things, have intense and unfailing love for one another. For love covers a multitude of sins, forgives and disregards the offenses of others. Sometimes you just need the Amplified to say, and forgives and disregards the offenses of others. It's not just it covers them. It forgives them. It disregards them. Bye-bye. They're gone. So and then, of course, in Galatians 5, 14 through 15, this is the passion, and this is where it's talking about love completing the law of God. For love completes the laws of God. All of the law can be summarized in one grand statement. Demonstrate love to your neighbor, even as you care for and love yourself. But, there's always a but. But, if you continue to criticize and come against each other over minor issues, you're acting like a wild beast trying to destroy one another. My goodness, that is heavy words. It's not a little thing to be the fashion police or to, to be the food critic. I know we have Larry who is an amazing chef and is not worthy of being criticized, but the rest of us, Daniel literally came into the kitchen yesterday morning. He's like, is that supposed to be black? And I'm like, it's dark brown. Work on your colors. <laughs> but being a, there's, there's not just, it's not a little thing. It's a big thing. And you know what? It's a big thing in the kingdom of God. It sounds like a little thing because the world has um, groomed us to think it's a little thing. But in the kingdom of God, it's not a little thing. You know, my best example of being groomed is, you know, when I met Daniel, oh my goodness, he was so romantic and he was so sweet and he was so thoughtful. He would never let me say anything bad about myself. In fact, he would like smack me in the nose and say, don't say that about yourself. And 20 years later after the emergency room, we'll just say it's maybe not quite like that anymore. Because he's just been around so much stuff that the emotional constipation is kind of set in a little bit. Like, it, it just doesn't react the way it used to because it's something he's been immersed into. And he, he's amazing. I'm not talking naughty about you. I'm just saying, like, you know it's true. I'm not lying. I'm not lying. <laughs> he, he, anyway, we're just going to pass on that. But it's true. What we're being immersed in, what the world is surrounding us with every second is saying, this is a, is a little thing. Like, think about um, just watching the news, the criticism that comes of people's opinions when you watch the news. And it's damaging because then that's what you're being molded into. And that's not what God wants us to do. So this, um, this passage is Numbers 12, 1 through 16. And this is just the New King James. And we're going back to Aaron but so this is, they've already come out of Egypt. We're already all the way through Exodus. We're into numbers. They're still in the um, wilderness because, you know, they couldn't get their act together and make the 11-day trip. So we're still in the wilderness. Um, then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses. Again, just so we all know. So they spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married. 
for he had married an Ethiopian woman. So they had nothing better to talk about than to talk junk about Moses' wife because she was Ethiopian, just saying. So they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? He married that Ethiopian woman. Are you sure God is only talking to him? See how silly this sounds? Okay. Has he not spoken through us also? Because remember, Moses was God's mouthpiece, but Moses didn't want to fulfill that role. So then Aaron became Moses' mouthpiece that was God's mouthpiece, right? So this is what Aaron is saying. Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. I love that part. The Lord heard it. So what we say or what we think we're saying to Miriam and our sister and people in private, Pastor Kim always says your decisions are personal, but they're not private. They affect everybody around you. And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very humble, more than all the men who were on the face of the earth. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, come out, you three, to the tabernacle of meeting, exclamation point. So, you know, Daniel's editing my book and he's taking out all of my exclamation points. So the three came out. Then the Lord came down in the pillar of a cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam. So God calls them into the tabernacle and he stands in the middle of the doorway because they're not getting out. He's going to talk to them. And they both went forward. Then he, God, said, hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house, and I speak with him face to face. He is totally coming to bat for Moses, right? Moses didn't even hear, or they don't say Moses heard. It said they were talking private, and they were talking against him. But God came to bat for Moses. Even plainly, and not in dark sayings. And he sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant, Moses? So God basically turns them out and says, look here. I speak to Moses face to face. I don't hide things from him. I speak plainly right to his face. And he sees the form of the Lord. At this point, I would think Aaron and Miriam probably had a slight change of heart. But, so the anger of the Lord was aroused against them, and he departed. And when the cloud departed from above the tabernacle, suddenly Miriam became leprous, as white as snow. Then Aaron turned toward Miriam, and there she was, a leper. So Aaron said to Moses, oh, my Lord, please do not lay this sin on us in which we have done foolishly and in which we have sinned. Please don't let her be as one dead whose flesh is half consumed when he comes out of his mother's womb. So Moses cried out to the Lord saying, please heal her. So Moses is amazing. So he knows, even though he wasn't there when he was being talked about, right? He knows now they were talking about him and talking about his wife. Because God just told him he was talking about him, right? And yet Moses goes, please heal her, oh God, I pray. Then the Lord said to Moses, if her father had but spit in her face, would she not be shamed seven days? Let her be shut out of the camp seven days, and afterwards she might be received again. So this seems, it can seem, if we align ourselves with the world and being a critic and having this criticizing spirit of 
everybody, of everything, of what they wear, of the shoes they wear, of, of the color hair there is, whatever it is that people are being criticized for. If we align ourselves with that, look what happened in this verse. It angered God, first and foremost, right? But it brought down something upon themselves, because we know God doesn't come to steal and kill and destroy, right? He doesn't put disease and stuff on us. But we do have an enemy. And as soon as we give him that door, all of a sudden, he can come in and he can do things like this. He can do leprosy or whatever the situation is that he brings. But it's because they had a heart that was criticizing the anointed of God. And God set them straight. He said, I talk to Moses face to face. He sees my form. Who are you to say anything against him? And he wasn't even really talking super bad about Moses as much as he was talking about Moses's wife. All right, so it's important to God. The critical spirit is one that operate, operates in line with the heart of the accuser of the brethren, who is the devil. So Revelations 12.10, it talks about how in the, in the end, and the accuser of the brethren is thrown down into the lake of the fire, the accuser of the brethren is the devil. And it says that he accuses us day and night in front of God, right? So that critical spirit, if we're working out of a critical spirit, if we are criticizing people, if we are uh, um, spreading criticism, we are not operating under the spirit of God. We are operating under another spirit. And that spirit is not the spirit of God, which means there's really only other person it could be the spirit of, and that's the devil. Again, if you run me out of town, I will go out front because that's the Bible. That is not me saying that. We have to be careful because, like I said, the world is conditioning us, ever conditioning us, might I add, to new things. It wants us to accept the world's way of marriage. It wants us to accept the world's way of whatever it is. But we have to remember, we don't submit to the world's way. We submit to God's way. And if this is such a big deal to God where God called them out and turned them right around, we need to be very careful because we have been called into the body of Christ. And we talked about this last couple weeks ago. We've been called into a body of Christ where Christ is the head of the body, correct? But under that head of the body, we also have pastors that we're attached to, and they are people, and they wear clothes we may not like, or we, whatever the situation people can possibly dream up to be critical about, they are people, which means we need to be really careful about what is being said about our body, because we've been joined together, we are one body, and we need to be very careful about saying anything against God's anointed because that's not the will of God. That's not the spirit of God. And Pastor Steve has been so passionately exhorting us these last few weeks to live only in the spirit, to live only for kingdom business. But this is one sure way to get us right out of the spirit, to get us right into the flesh because the flesh is where our feelings are wrapped up. And a lot of times when we're criticizing things, it's coming out of feelings. Let's just be honest. Like, it's not really probably out of a real good reason other than Moses' wife was Ethiopian, apparently. 
and apparently that was offensive to them. Was it wrong against the Bible? No. Did Was there sin somewhere mixed in there? No. So they had no good reason to say anything. And if they would have said, they needed to say it to Moses, obviously, but that's a whole, we're going to get to there. Okay, so Ephesians 4, 26 through 29, this is in the Passion Translation, but don't let the passion of your emotions lead you to sin. Don't let anger control you or be fuel for revenge, not even a day. Don't give the slanderous, wow, slanderous accuser, the devil, an opportunity to manipulate you. My goodness. If any of you has stolen something from someone else, never do it again. Instead, be industrious, earning an honest living, and then you will have enough to bless those in need. And never let ugly or hateful words come from your mouth. But instead, let your words become beautiful gifts that encourage others. Do this by speaking words of grace to help them. This is God's spirit. This is what Pastor Steve has been talking about. This is living and operating from a place in the spirit. When you can maybe want to say mean things or or hateful or ugly things, but you don't, and you say, okay, Holy Spirit, you're going to have to change my thoughts right now, and then I will respond instead of react. We've talked about that. There's a difference between reacting and responding. And I had something happen this week at the ranch where Daniel was like, well, did you do this? And I'm like, nope, I didn't. I came in, I'm going to think about it, I'm going to pray about it, and then I'm going to respond. And you know what? By the time I was ready to respond, because I had gotten my mind where it really should have been instead of over here in angry land, I didn't even have to fix it. God had already changed the hearts involved, and I just kind of got to sit along for the ride. And he wants to do that for us. The Bible says the, the war is not against flesh and blood, right? So why are we fighting in the flesh? Why are we fighting our own body, first of all, from somebody that has just had to fight their little thumb for five and a half weeks? I don't want to be fighting my body. So y'all better start being nice to me because I need to start being nice to you. Because you know what? If you're the thumb, it doesn't matter. You're a part of this body, and this body needs to operate in unity. It needs to operate as a body, as a complete body, because just like Pastor Steve was saying, Jesus is coming back, and he's coming back for a church that is without spot or blemish. And I don't want Jesus to get here and be like, Emma, you are a boil on the rear end of somebody. I do not want to be that body part. I want Jesus to come back and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Isn't that what we want? I don't want him to come back and tell me I was the toe that got stubbed and everybody's angry at every time. So if you guys don't take notes, maybe not for me, but like in general, you should go back because, man, our pastors have some amazing teachings and I, I went back to this teaching. It's back from 2012. Uh, Pastor Steve said this. Honor is the positioning of another above self, demonstrated in sacrifice, and a love that completely disallows criticism and dishonor. We are in a world that is telling us, me, 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 me. What are you going to do for me? 
Are you going to pay off my debt? Are you going to whatever they're trying to do this week? They want you to be self-focused because when you're self-focused, you can't be other people-focused. And you know what's a really great way to get people self-focused is, wow, that I just don't like how she talked to me today. I don't really like what he said. I don't really like that Daniel said his grilled cheese was black again. <laughs> we start criticizing things, and all of a sudden, it's about me. It's about how I felt. It's about what I thought. It's about what, what I want people to think when I tell them about it. It's no longer about what the Spirit of God is saying. It's no longer saying Daniel is an amazing man of God. He was called from the womb. He has been saved, oh my goodness, more times than I can possibly say he has been saved because the devil really likes to try to take him out. Those are the things we need to be saying about each other. Jennifer's an amazing encourager. Every time she sends me a text, it's always, hi, pretty. How are you doing? What are you doing? It's always so sweet. Instead of saying, ah, she didn't, you know, do this or that or whatever. We need to stop that. Stop it. How many times do you have your kids in the back seat and they're like bickering because, you know, he did this and she did this. And it was great when my kids took sign language because they did it all in, in sign language and I didn't have to hear it. And finally, David would be mad. <laughs> Mom, Ryan called me a stupid chicken cow. And I'm like, nah, I didn't hear it. <laughs> Sorry about your bad luck. But we need to stop it. Stop. Because there's a bigger picture here. There is kingdom business here to be done. And if we do not correct this area, we will shut off the flow of the Holy Spirit. And we can't afford that. We can't afford it. It's a price too high. Proverbs 16, 27 through 28, this is the passion, says, A wicked scoundrel wants to dig up dirt on others only to spread slander and shred their reputation. A twisted person spreads rumors. A whispering gossip ruins good friends. We need to, to take this tonight and say, okay, God, I've missed it. Because I'm just going to say, I've missed it. I've missed it. Absolutely. I probably missed it on the way here to church. Just saying. It's so easy because we've been conditioned to do that. But we need to say, okay, God, I give it to you, and I'm going to respond out of the spirit instead of react out of my flesh because I want you to control my ways. I want you to inhabit the words that come out of my mouth. I want you to inhabit my thoughts and my heart because out of your heart, that's where everything flows from. So if he can't purify our hearts, first and foremost, our mouth is never going to get in line. So that goes back to we need to be looking for God. We need to be seeking his face. We need to be in his presence. So you guys know I like gemstones. I have like 500 carats of loose faceted gemstones. It's really fun to look through them. But there is a uh, TV show, and it's clean and wholesome before I recommend this. It's on Discovery Channel. It's called Gem Hunt. I love this show. It's so much fun. 
Uh, so they go all over the world into these places that they mine gemstones. And so each episode, they have a different gemstone. They're on the hunt to buy. And they want to buy the rough stones because then they take them back to the States and they cut them and facet them. And then they make, you know, like a billion times the amount of money they spent in wherever tiny country they were in. And it's always fun to see. I like it. If you like stuff like that, watch it. But something I noticed is they have a purpose. They have a mission. So, for example, they were going to Tanzania at the base of Mount Kilimanjaro. It's the only mine that produces tanzanite, and it is glorious, and it is beautiful, and I would really not be sad to have any. Um, so they're at the base of Kilimanjaro, and they're looking for this tanzanite, and they find this rough stone that they want. And there's not a lot of big rough stones of tanzanite left. They're not finding them. They're finding very small stones with really weak color, but it's supposed to be this rich, vibrant, purple, royal blue that facets into like fuchsia colors. It's amazing. It's so pretty. So they found this huge rough stone. They really, really wanted it. They were trying to hold back their excitement because they didn't want the people to know that, oh my goodness, we really, really want this thing. So you know what he did? He said, okay, I want to pay you, I don't even remember what it was, $10,000. It wasn't, but I don't know what it was. So I want to pay you $10,000. And the guy comes back, and he's like, oh, no, that's, that's a $100,000 stone. And the guy's eyes got huge because it probably is a $100,000 stone. But anyway, so you know what he does? He starts criticizing the stone. He starts pointing out its flaws. Oh, this part of the stone, if I don't cut it just right, it's not going to reflect that fuchsia. Or maybe there's a crack there. I won't really know till I can cut it. And, you know, it, on this side, it's kind of flat. And he starts criticizing this stone. And all of a sudden, this, you can tell this mine owner starts to kind of go, like may, maybe maybe it really isn't worth that. Maybe oh yeah yeah I can see the the crack or I can see the discoloration. I can see all these things. And before you know it, he lows it, lowers his prices, and the guy gets it for the price he wants because he devalued it in the eye of the owner. It wasn't that that stone wasn't worth a hundred thousand dollars. It wasn't even that. He made 10 or 20 times whatever he paid for it. It was that he cast that shadow of a doubt by criticizing it. And the value went from here to here. Now, it worked for the guy trying to buy the stone. But for the owner, it didn't really work. What you criticize or point flaws out in, you devalue in your life. What you devalue in your life cannot produce in your life. And what cannot produce in your life becomes sterile and stale in your life, like we talked about a couple weeks ago. We need to be immediately changed, not even careful. This isn't a let's be careful. We'll try our very best not to be critical. No, we need to say, I will not criticize because I am not devaluing this person. I'm not devaluing them to me. I'm not devaluing them to my husband. I'm not devaluing them in the eyes of my kids. I am not going to criticize this person, period. 
So let's take this out of the gemstone world and let's take this into our church, okay? Because we're in church and we're called to be a part of the church. Jesus came for us to be a part of the body of the church. Yes, he came for us to be reconciled to him and to God. But then what did he do? He put us in a church. He put us in a body. So that's number two importance, right? So we have amazing pastors. Amazing. They are people, but they are amazing people. And they are the anointed ones of God. They have been placed into this ministry and this place, not for themselves, but for us. So we need to realize that if we are talking in private in a critical way against our pastors or against our church or against our church body, you are devaluing it in your life. And it doesn't just affect you. It affects your family. It affects your family future. It affects this church body. It affects the flow of the Holy Spirit. We have had such beautiful times in the Spirit lately. Sunday after, well, I guess it was kind of after service, but at the end of the service, what a precious time that was in the presence of God. You know what shuts that down? Criticism. Like, boop, we're done. Bye. See ya. Because God can't flow there. Because we've already said, that's not a spirit of God. God doesn't come and, and condemn us. The Bible says he doesn't condemn us. It's the devil that condemns us. So if we're condemning people, if we're criticizing people, we are operating from a spirit that is not the spirit of God, which means we have turned off the water and the electricity in the house of the spirit of God. We can't do it. We've got to stop doing it because this world needs us. It's not about us, you guys. It's not about us. It's not about me. It is about reaching the people Jesus has put us here to reach. And man, we can't do it if we don't have the Spirit of God. We've got to say, okay, Holy Spirit, they hurt my feelings. But you know what? I'm giving you that hurt. Because I can't fix it anyways. So I'm going to give it to you. And we're going to move from there. So another example of this is in, in Samuel. You know, David was anointed to be the next king of Israel. But Saul was still there, right? And Saul in, uh, actually I didn't write down the reference. But at one point in in 1 Samuel it says that the spirit of God departed from Saul and another spirit moved in so again if he's not operating from the spirit of God he's operating from the spirit of the devil cuz those are your those are your choices this is multiple choice god devil check one that's all you get there's no gray areas so this is 24, 1 through 7. Now, it happened when Saul had returned from following the Philistines. I don't, if you guys don't know the story, he goes cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, like bad. And he wants, he's decided he needs to kill David. Even though David grew up in his house, his best friend was Saul's son. They loved each other. They were committed to each other as far as in an honorable sense. But Saul lost it. He got out of the will of God. He got out of the spirit of God. And now all he sees is he needs to kill David for whatever reason. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and went to seek David and his men on the rocks 
of the wild goats. Because David is hiding out in the caves, hiding from Saul, because Saul is trying, or Saul, yes, Saul is trying to kill him, kill him dead, like dead, goodbye. So he's hiding in these caves. So he takes 3,000 men with him, because apparently you need 3,000 men when you're going after one. So he came to the sheepfolds by the road where there was a cave, and Saul went in and attended to his needs. And in parentheses, David and his men were staying in the recesses of that very same cave. Then the men of David said to him, This is the day of which the Lord has said to you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand, that you may do to him as it seems good to you. And David arose and secretly cut off a corner of Saul's robe. His men were going, Yes! Jesus gave him to you so that you could kill him now, and now you can be king. And David decides, I'm just going to take a little piece of his, of his garment. Now, it happened afterward that David's heart troubled him because he had cut Saul's robe. They're calling for his life, and he's devastated that he cut the robe of the anointed king. And David said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master. The Lord's anointed to stretch my hand out against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. So David restrained his servants with these words and did not allow them to rise against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and went on his way. It doesn't matter what people are saying. It doesn't matter if they think they have a righteous reason. We knew David is the next anointed king. He was. The prophet said he was. So when he fell into David's grasp, they thought, great, this is how it's going to happen. We're going to make our own way. And they wanted to kill him. And, and David couldn't do it. He just took that little piece. But it broke his heart because he knew that God had put Saul as king, and God had not removed Saul as king yet, which meant he was still the anointed king of Israel. And David knew the significance of that. He knew that he had come against the anointed by just cutting off a little piece of his robe. Proverbs 17, 4 says, those eager to embrace evil, listen to slander. I don't want to embrace evil. I know y'all don't want to either. We're totally teaching to the choir tonight. This is for me because it can't possibly be for any of y'all. But those eager to embrace evil, listen to slander. I had an opportunity this week somebody was wanting to uh, to talk against somebody else. And I finally said, if you're going to talk against them, I'm done talking. Because just listening to it says those eager to embrace evil, listen to slander. You just had to listen. How many times do we let people talk? Shut them off. Time out. Mouth shut, can't talk to you. You should be so full of the Spirit of God that it makes people uncomfortable to talk junk about somebody else. Am I? I'm going to work on that. You can believe I'm going to. Galatians 5, 16 through 18. 
<laughs> this is the Passion Translation. As you yield freely and fully to the dynamic life and power of the Holy Spirit, you will abandon the cravings of your self-life. For your self-life craves the things that offend the Holy Spirit and hinder him from living free within you. And the Holy Spirit's intense cravings hinder your old self-life from dominating you. So if we're having problems with this, if we have this critical spirit, one, it's not of God. So one, we need to stop that right then and there and we need to get back into the spirit of God because it says it shuts down your old life, your old sin life, your old man life. You can only operate from one. You, you can't be team God and team devil. You can't be team Holy Spirit and team other kind of spirit. You can't. It says you can't serve two masters. You've got to choose. Pastor Stephen said this on Sunday, being submitted to another spirit that is not of God is actively submitting to ungodliness and being the enabler of others to not being able to see Jesus. Ouch. Ouch. Being submitted to another spirit is being the enabler of the people around us to not see Jesus? Ooh. I don't want that. So why is this so important? Criticism of our pastors, God's anointed, and those that you are called to be a part of their body, one, will shut off the Holy Spirit working in your life. You cannot operate from the Holy Spirit and other spirits, period. I don't care what you think that person did. I don't care what you think they said. I don't care if they really truly said it or did it. I don't care. You have a calling to habitually walk in the spirit, so act like it. That's to me, just so you know. Just remember, God had to say these things to me first so that I could relay them. So walk habitually in the spirit, Act like it. Criticizing our, our pastors, it brings division between you and them. And if you're here, you're under their body, you're under their fold, there is something here for you because of them that you shut off the flow to if you dishonor them in this way. And... Again, if you weren't here two weeks ago, you giving into this, bringing division, bringing strife, bringing criticism, talking about things, it's a disease that spreads. It doesn't stay with you, it spreads. And that verse that talks about being attached to the vine, what happens to that branch that's not producing? It's cut off and thrown into the fire because it spreads. And the third thing it does, it shuts, off the holy, it shuts off the flow of the Holy Spirit as we come together in corporate worship. So I will not cut off the flow of the Holy Spirit if y'all won't do it either. Or actually, I'm not going to do it either way. So it's up to you guys as to what you're going to do on your part because I can't make you do anything. But I will not be the reason the Holy Spirit is hindered in your life, in this place, in the person that walks through that door. Because we have a bigger calling than ourselves. 
And we can't get there if we let these little things. It's a little thing. I mean, it sounds like it sounds like a big thing, but really it's not. If we would just check our, our words and check our heart and check our mouth before we react and then respond from the Spirit, this whole thing is a moot point because we've already solved the problem. Deuteronomy eleven thirteen through 14, and it shall be that if you earnestly obey my commandments, which I command you today to love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will give you the rain for your land in, in its season, the early rain and the latter rain, that you may gather in your grain, your new wine and your oil. So the latter, the, the early and the latter rains is actually a prophecy about the outflowing of the Holy Spirit. And the early rains, it, back in the time of Israel and when they were farming, of course, the early rains happened right when they were preparing the ground for sowing. They were preparing the ground. That early rain happened on the day of Pentecost. We were starting to get ready for sowing. The church was starting to, to or about to be ready to start going out into the world. And that early rain fell on Pentecost. So the latter rain was what watered the field right before the harvest. It doesn't like my face. It's really offensive. Um, I'm going to see if I can send this to my iPad so you can see. So that latter rain actually has already happened as well. That happened during the era of when like the Azusa Street revivals was going on. We've already seen those two. But then Joel 2.23 prophesizes about the early and the latter rains coming together for the greatest outpouring of the Spirit that has ever happened on the earth. Guess when that happens? Right before Jesus comes back. Where are we, guys? We are right before Jesus comes back. We are in the last days. We are right there when we need to be doing that. So we have out, out front, we have this uh, uh, pasture that has a, well, it doesn't currently have a pond, but it used to have a 30-foot pond in it for the cattle and stuff. So um, a few weeks ago, I took a picture. And all you can see in this picture is this wide open land with dry, cracked ground. And that's all you can see, brown, dry, cracked ground. No rain, no water, no outflowing of the spirit. There it is, just dry and cracked. So last week, we got an inch and a half of rain. And we went from dry, cracked to green which is glorious because we've had no green all year. And so everything is green. And all of a sudden we have all these flowers growing. And as you stand on the driveway and look out into this pasture, it's beautiful because it's all these yellow flowers. And there's some real big yellow flowers and there's some real little yellow flowers. And these are the pictures I really wanted to show you guys. Anyways, so this rain fell. We've had a lot of rain in the spirit in this place always, but lately it's intensifying. We are heading towards that former and latter rains coming together, and the, that is intensifying, which means it's raining the Spirit in this place. But in our pasture, 
we have two yellow flowers. These big, tall flowers, which are some of my very favorite, are the sunflowers. And they're beautiful, and they're bright. And did you know that the sunflowers actually get their energy from the sun? Which means as the sun tracks through the sky, the head of that flower actually follows and tracks the sun so that it can, can grow and it can live. And these other yellow flowers are of the devil. They are evil, and I hate them. But they're beautiful from far away. They're aesthetically gorgeous, and they're in the same exact field with the sunflowers, and everything looks beautiful and bright until you get up to these little heathens that have these horrible little thorns on them. They're called buffalo burrs. Look them up. They're satanic. And they have these awful thorns, and I'm not kidding you. They're like this long on the stalks, and their flowers are thorny, and then they make this little nasty burr thing that spreads into the other things. And before you know it, you have an entire field of all these beautiful, ugly, terrible, satanic, yellow flowers that are highly toxic to livestock, just so we all know. So here's my point. The rain is coming, right? The rain of the Spirit is coming we are the field, and we might all look yellow, and we might all look pretty aesthetically, but there is a difference. Are you going to be a sunflower who is following the sun, who is getting its energy, who is getting its resources from the sun, or are you going to be that buffalo burr that really only ticks people off because it's thorny, and it's toxic, and it kills I mean, the goats don't eat them because they're smart enough to realize, oh, a thorn's not going to eat it. But they could, and if they do, it's a nightshade, and the nightshades are toxic. They will kill them. So just because you're here and just because you're yellow does not mean you are hooked up with the Spirit of God. We need to be, okay, God, I am ready for your spirit. I want to be operating from your spirit. I'm going to follow your son wherever he goes. I'm going to point my face to him everywhere he tracks. That's where my face is tracking because I get my energy source from you. And it's our choice. It's our decision. Choose this day who you're going to serve. We are a part of ushering in this third outpouring of the Spirit. Billy Brim said, the glories of this outpouring will produce the grandest crop there ever was and ever will be. We're right there. That's what this whole thing is about. The spirit coming down in this way is about souls. It's not about us. It's about souls. The glories of the outpouring will produce the grandest crop ever there was. But we've got to hook up to it. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 in the Amplified says, Do not quench, suppress, or subdue the Holy Spirit. Don't be the yellow buffalo burr. Guys, I'm telling you, if you saw the pictures, you'd be horrified. They are so mean. So what do we do? Because we live in a body of people. Our pastors are people. We love them. They're anointed. They're, they are precious. We, our family has been with them, I think we said, 11 years this year. There really is not a situation we haven't seen them go through. But guess what? They're people, just like me, just like you. So there might be a time when there are concerns that happen as a body member or with our pastors. So what do we do? First and foremost, we are not going to talk about it at all. We're not going to talk about it with other people. We're not going to let other people talk about it with us because that is allowing that spirit of the Antichrist 
to come right into your address, to come right into my address. And if you start talking junk about my pastors to me, I probably will tell you to shut up. But don't tell Pastor Steve I said that word because he doesn't like it. Because there's no place for it here. So what are we going to do instead? One, we are going to pray about it. We're going to seek God. We're going to flee from our emotions. That's easy, right? Pray, pray about it. Seek God. Flee from our emotions. Two, what are we going to do? We're going to zip it. Don't talk about it. Not at home. Not in the car. Not at dinner with friends. Shut down the working of the devil that will bring division and dishonor and disablement, disablement of the Holy Spirit in this place. Zip it. Be quiet. Go to the person in private. We have concerns. We're people. They're people. You go to them in private. I'm reading this book right now. There are some good things, but there are some really junky things in it. Um, so not all advice is good advice. This book is written for people serving pastors in a church. And I told Daniel, this guy needs Jesus because that's not appropriate whatsoever. So your counsel for people might not be appropriate. So don't talk about it with them. If you have a problem or if you have a concern with me or, or with Pastor or with Daniel, you go to me or Pastor or Daniel. You don't go to Charlene, Melanie, and, and Ryan. It's none of their business. All you're doing is planting evil little buffalo burrs. We want sunflowers. So go to the person in private. Whether it's a body member or a leader, go directly to them after you have spent time in prayer and seeking God. We are going to respond, not react. Respond, not react. And then once it's resolved, don't bring it back up ever. It's done. It's gone. You know, when Jesus likens, or when the Bible likens us to the bride of Jesus, think about this marriage thing in the body. If we're constantly bringing up things that happened a year ago that's already been settled, is your marriage fruitful? No. Stop talking about the burnt grilled cheese. If, if you are constantly criticizing your spouse or your or your children is that a productive relationship no it's not it's a bruised abused broken relationship we don't want that we want to be full in unity because when the when they were waiting on the outpouring of the holy spirit on the day of pentecost what does it say they did they were in one place with one heart in one accord that means there was no division among them. They all were there for the same thing. They weren't thinking about, wow, he's praying too loud. He's taking too long. Doesn't he know it's lunchtime? They were waiting on the spirit of God to move. And that's what we need to be doing. We need to be saying, okay, it's not about me. It's not about what I want. It's not about what I think. It's not about what I like. It is about the souls that is going to be reached because the Holy Spirit fell in this place. We have a part to play. It doesn't happen by itself. You're here for a reason. God put you in this place for a reason. He connected you to this body for a reason. If you don't like that, you got to take that up with God. That is not my problem. 
My problem is you're a part of this body and I expect you to act like it. That means stop being the toe I keep stubbing or the thumb that needs to have surgery every time I turn around. We need to be presenting ourselves as a member of the body, as a productive fruit, like we talked about a couple weeks ago. We don't want to be the disease that spreads to this body. Praise God. And you're not. We're to- everyone here is an amazing member of the body. This is for nobody in particular. We're just talking about it. Theoretically, hypothetically. To- <laughs> so there's that. <laughs> 